0: In the early morning on Monday, October 9th, people were woken to the sound of real horror. Outside their windows, fires were burning all around them. They had moments to leave their homes and run. As of now, 22,000 residents are still evacuated. At least 40 people have died. 70 are missing, and thousands of homes are destroyed. While we are not affiliated with this cause, we at Joner Junkies ask that you help our friends and neighbors in Northern California by supporting the North Bay Fire Relief Fund by visiting www.redwoodcu.org forward slash North Bay Fire Relief. 100% of your tax-deductible donations will go directly to support those affected. Thank you.
1: weirdo bookworms unite we want to share our love of genre fiction with you fans of horror sci-fi fantasy and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading welcome back to another special spooktacular episode of genre junkies and that's right, it's spectacular because this is October, the best month of the year, the Halloween month of the year, and we are dedicating this whole month to talking about scary horror genre books. I'm your host, your ghost host, Sandra, joined as always...
0: By your spooky co-host,
1: Scott! <laughs> I cannot even... You're like, you're like the Count from Sesame Street when you try to be spooky.
0: Yeah, I'm not spooky at all.
1: He's not spooky at all, people. But we love him anyway. So tonight, we're going to talk to you about a pretty awesome book, spoiler alert, it's awesome, novel by Jong Langan, and that's his last name is L-A-N-G-A-N, called
0: The Fisherman. Immediately, I'm interested. I love fishing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there uh, there is some stuff about the sport and hobby of fishing in this novel. So let me tell you a little synopsis here about our story. And as always, we're going to keep it spoiler-free, and we will warn you when it becomes actual spoilers for the book. We usually take a little break before that. So the fishermen. Widowers Abe and Dan bond in their shared losses over a love of fishing. Dan becomes curious about a legendary fishing spot called Dutchman's Creek with a sinister past. We journey back in time when immigrants were settling the area and constructing a reservoir on the site. There we learn the terrifying and paranormal truth to the fabled Dutchman's Creek. So, here's something that a lot of people are going to want to know going in. This book is a bit of historical fiction as well as contemporary.
0: Yes, which came as a surprise to me. But I found myself to be pleasantly surprised by that fact.
1: Yeah. And um, historical fiction, we wanted to make sure you knew that because it's polarizing. A lot of people don't love historical fiction. I myself am a huge history buff. I absolutely love history. I don't mind historical fiction. And I especially love, of course, genre historical fiction. Like That's why we're here. Um, I love horror stories set in the past.
0: There's two different kinds of historical fiction. There's historical fiction where you need to have a basis in what they're talking about in the time period that they're referring to. There's historical fiction that is relevant in that it explains itself to you. You don't need to come in with previous experience.
1: And this isn't, like, super, like, heavy, like, you have to know a lot about the politics or whatever of the era. This is around the turn of the last century, um, circa 1907, is where the historical stuff takes place. You know how we like to kick this off after the synopsis. I'm going to talk to you about our experience score. And as always, you can look up our experience score on our website.
0: Genrejunkies.com.
1: Mm-hmm. You can find us through Instagram, of course, where we talk about how we rate things so for an overall experience score for me this little junkie is going to give it obsession wow yeah yeah it's obsession people this is real this is true love this is not a drill i will 100 percent be rereading this book i could see myself rereading this book like yearly or like if i'm really down and i need a little pick-me-up like from an old friend this is like that type of book for me
0: Well, I adore this book. It spreads its reveals in a very consistent, um, I'm trying to think of a word between appealing and exhilarating. Right. But anyway, in a a great way. Uh, uh, Parts of this book, specifically the chapters in the voice of Abe, are delicious. I'm actually obsessed with delicious. I would give this a page turner. It's not quite an obsession to me throughout the entire book, but Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with Abe. So it, it it teeters between Paige turner and obsession for me.
1: It almost sounds like Abe is your Black Philip who wants you to live deliciously.
0: I love Abe. I want to to be Abe.
1: Oh, you're kind of on your way to be Abe, but let's not not like in the point where you get widowed young because that would be bad for me
0: widowed young and start going through some horrifying experiences while fishing i would rather (laughs) avoid all of that
1: well i like to see you go through the horrifying experiences while fishing but not the widowed part that affects me that's not good that
0: directly affects you (laughs) i can't i can't be a widower if you're around
1: no so let's talk a little bit about the writing style this is my first book by this author Sure as heck will not be my last because I friggin was obsessed with this book. So I can imagine myself, I'm going to want to read everything he's written.
0: I'm interested in reading what else he's written. He seems to have two very strong voices in this particular book. Mm -hmm. One is the first person perspective. The character that he's written for Abe is so strongly realized. It's a strong, Mm -hmm. realistic, interesting character with real motivations and deep thought structure.
1: Can we all tell that there's a little bit of a bromance between Scott and Abe right now?
0: I just want to be his fishing buddy. (laughs) I
1: just want to be a part of your world, Abe.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
1: There's nothing wrong with that. So kind of hilariously on the fishing note, as a fisherman, thus
0: fisher yourself,
1: uh, would you say this is an accurate portrayal of a fishing enthusiast?
0: (laughs) It's better than accurate. It's perfect. Oh. There's particularly a paragraph where he's describing the very first cast of the day and the way that the lure hits the water. That is I couldn't think of a better way to describe exactly that feeling. Yes. It's brilliant.
1: This dude practically has tears in his eyes right now talking about this fishing description. I mean, that's all the endorsement you need. And I promise you, it's not all fishing all the time. But there are some really beautiful descriptions of fishing in this book. I agree.
0: Fishing is an important plot point, And it's a way that everything is brought together. Mm-hmm. But if you are not yourself a fisherman... You'll be fine with this book.
1: I think somewhere on the book, somebody blurbs it on the jacket that it's like a hellish version of a river runs through it, <laughs> which I thought was perfect. So a little bit more about the writing style. I think he that Mr. Langen, John Langen. I hope I'm saying his name right. He has a really nice conversational way about things where you're not spared description but it's not um it's not incredibly like lofty
0: prose either no it's when he goes into third person description it is very normal and typical storytelling But there is a perfect balance between over-describing every situation and over-describing the scenario and giving enough context and enough character to what is happening to properly explain it.
1: And you know what? This is kind of not really related to writing style or characters, but we do have this book in its um, physical form.
0: It's a first edition trade.
1: Boom. You heard it here. It is like a really beautiful book. It has this gorgeous painting on the front. It's that kind of slightly oversized trade.
0: And the painting is perfect for visualizing exactly what is being described. The painting is much older than the book. It was not made specifically for it, but it is a perfect representation of the mood in the setting.
1: And I love book covers like that. This is so geeky. This is why we do this podcast, right? Because y'all are feeling this too. We all smell books. We all spend too long looking at book covers it's got that beautiful kind of like matte feel on it and uh but it's not quite matte i can't it's describe satiny. it it's, it's satiny it's satiny yes it's a satiny cover And I also just have a weak spot for books with paintings on the cover. Ever since, you know, my childhood days uh, weaned on Anne Rice, as I am, and she loves to find a brilliant piece of art for her covers. I just think that's super cool. And of course, that's, you know, there's an art to the covers that you lose sometimes with an ebook.
0: This is the second book in a row that I recommend that you go ahead and pick up the trade because the cover is so important.
1: It's special. So a little bit more about the characters. Let's get into that. So obviously you loved Abe. I think also Dan, his uh, his fishing buddy, is a well-written character. There's some levels there.
0: Abe and Dan perfectly mirror each other. They both suffered such strong loss, but they both handled it differently. And they handle it differently throughout the entire book and Langan clearly sets up the two characters to be very similar, but ultimately in opposition of each other.
1: You know, I hadn't really thought about that for some reason, I don't know, until you kind of said it. That's interesting that there is a side of this book that's about how people grieve and deal with loss, which is a very human, relatable experience that most people do differently. And it's kind of interesting to read characters that have this kind of built-in flaw almost of these are people dealing with grief in completely different ways.
0: And one of the fascinating takeaways that I took from the book is the danger of hope.
1: Mm, The danger of hope. I like that.
0: There's a level of acceptance that Abe has come to that Dan never reaches. Dan has so much hope, yet so much despair. Mm-hmm. And it's the combination of those two things that drive the horror of the book.
1: So let's talk a little bit about our historical characters without um getting too much into spoiler territory. To flesh out a little bit more of this book and what you can expect going into it, one of our leads in the past is a German gentleman named Reiner, Reiner Schmidt. Uh, The Schmidt family features prominently in the past, and I really like Reiner because I dislike Reiner. Does that make sense?
0: I do think it makes sense. I don't like his demeanor. I don't like his attitude and mm. his behavior, but it makes for a very fascinating character.
1: Absolutely, 100%. Because he's not hes not a villain. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's kind of heroic in this book.
0: He is a hero.
1: Right. But he's
0: a very unlikable one.
1: Right. And he's very complicated. I mean, you do get some growth with him, but it's more like things you learn about our characters, as opposed to being like they grow and develop, is they surprise you. Would you say that's fair?
0: I think that that's very fair.
1: Yeah. So what else about characters kind of stands out to you?
0: Well, the one thing that I felt that this book was lacking when it came to characters, there is no strong female character. When it comes to the female characters in the book, I always think of them as this character's wife or this character's daughter. I never think, Lottie, what a great thing that she just did. I think the book suffers from having too much of a male perspective, particularly in the historical fiction pieces.
1: I definitely see where you mean, and I don't want to sound like a bad feminist because I always want more females in my books and stronger female characters and voices. This is not particularly a book with a very strong female presence. However... I do like the female characters in this book. I don't feel like they're bad representations of females.
0: Oh, I agree. There's there's no no one is a stereotype.
1: Right. And some of the in the historical sense is they're a little bit like kind of just indicative of their time. But obviously, in the contemporary sense, since we're talking about two widower cis hetero men, <laughs> like their lives are not huge in in that part of the book.
0: It's why I'm so happy to hear that you really do like the book, because I think that this book very much interests men. Mm-hmm. As a man myself, you are. Spoiler alert: <laughs> I felt very connected to so many aspects of so many of the characters. I feel that he does write men very well. I was very yeah. excited to hear that you also enjoyed it, despite the fact that there was not a strong female voice.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I think sometimes that's okay. Of course, I'd love to see if, if um, John can write really strong female narration. I think that's really cool when an author of a different gender can write like that. I think that's a really good sign. But I mean, I was still, I was still happy with the female characters in this book they end up contributing a lot to the story. Like, you couldn't just have this with just the dude bros.
0: Agreed. Uh, The female characters do serve a very important role.
1: Yes. Now, I know a lot of you are probably wondering, why is this book called The Fisherman? Well, we can't tell you before the spoilers. In fact, there's a lot about character stuff that we can't tell you until the spoilers. So just kind of bear with us as we kind of get through the rest of this. We want to leave you intrigued. Think of us as the fishermen. We're throwing out a line here with a little bait.
0: So if you're thinking about reading it before the spoilers, I highly recommend that you do. God, yes. But to give you a better idea on if you should, we're going to give it an appeal score, who we think Mm -hmm. it appeals to.
1: Right. Okay, so here's my thing. I actually have a little bit of a struggle coming up with our uh, appeal rating fitting into this book, obviously. You all know this if you've listened to episodes. I am kind of our horror guru of the podcast. I try to be sensitive to what others would enjoy in a horror book that are maybe not like as dyed-in-the-wool horror fans as I am. So for an example, I don't have my dad read every horror book I read. Because then, like, when would he have time for James Patterson and Tom Clancy and those folks he loves? But besides that, I do have him read a lot of the horror books. And I had him read this one because I was like, no, this is good. So for that reason, I am going to give it general appeal. It's not quite niche, but it's not for everybody.
0: I agree with you. I had a really hard time. It's a really hard,
1: it's hard to pinpoint.
0: It was a really hard book to peg for me. Yeah. Uh there's there's so many different nuggets that can reel pun intended <laughs> different people into it enjoying it. Uh, there's real tales of loss, fishing, historical fiction. At its heart though, it is a hardcore Lovecraftian horror. Yes. I'm going to give it a general appeal as well. It doesn't pigeonhole itself, but you you might not give it to grandma. You might not yeah. give it to all of your friends.
1: I mean, if you have a badass grandma, you will. No, I agree. It, it's definitely general appeal. That's kind of like I used my dad as an example, as a perfect example. He's not a hardcore horror fan, but he has enough of a horror background you know, like he, he kind of fit into what I meant by general with that. And I'm glad you said Lovecraftian. It's the Lovecraftian elephant in the room. I, this story is Lovecraftian. There's no way around it. I mean, you don't have to, again, be like some huge Lovecraft nerd to enjoy this. But I think if you like Lovecraft, you like it.
0: It's very creepy. There's a very strong lore that the author clearly had in mind for the world that this book is written into. Yes. It only really scratches the surface, but it's all oh there. Oh my
1: gosh. That is such a good way to put it. Is There is a heavier, bigger, creepier thing. And it's almost wonderful how little he gives you and how little he leaves to your imagination. He's giving us like these little, these little like bite-sized chunks of it's scarier what you don't know, what we just barely know about the paranormal side of this book. It's a world. It's its own. It's its own character.
0: Not in reading, but in creation, the book reminds me a bit of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. <laughs>
1: uh, um. Okay. Please. Uh, please describe
0: why. Tolkien created this deep world filled with languages and lore and history and later wrote and expanded on it, but clearly so much of that was already in his mind when he wrote these stories. I feel that this book fits in a similar situation where there's clearly so much that's already created by the author in his head that isn't necessary for the book, but you can feel that undercurrent, that foundation.
1: I think I see what you mean then. I I do. Uh I mean there's no footnotes and there's
0: certainly no elves. And there's no odd songs. Actually?
1: No, there is songs. There is songs. Yeah, of course there's songs. Wait, we don't we don't read books without songs. <laughs> I feel like we should insert like an old-timey sea shanty here but we won't we're not going to do that. Um I guess as always I before we break for the spoilers this is kind of my my last ditch sales pitch to get you to read this book. I probably won't be friends with you if you don't like this book. If you do read this book, we probably will become best friends. I'm sorry, it's the truth. I freaking love this book and It's pretty harsh. <laughs> All right, all right. That's
0: a a pretty strong ultimatum.
1: All right, it's not totally true. I know this book isn't going to be for every horror fan even, but I really loved it. It is creepy. It's... The scares are subtle. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. This is like beautiful horror. Does that make sense? That's a thing.
0: That makes wonderful sense. It is beautiful, elegant horror.
1: Yes. And I like, like... I don't know, like a nasty, ratchety, rankety horror too. But <laughs> this is more on the on the elegant, um, erudite side of things.
0: It reads as literature as well as being horror.
1: Oh, but it's certainly it's certainly for genre junkies, though.
0: Even if this didn't end up being your cup of tea, I think that you will appreciate the work and the craft that goes into this story, and it will stick with you.
1: So now we're going to break for spoilers. If you have read the book already, please stay around so you can geek out with me as I try to be articulate about how much I love this book and it's it's really hard to do without spoiling it.
0: All right, we'll see you after the break.
1: Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at John Junkies, And don't forget to visit the website, JohnRejunkies.com. Welcome back. Welcome to the spoiler section. We've reserved a seat for you right here in the spoiler section. <laughs> the blood splash zone. Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm going to have a hard time even trying to be articulate in here like I said because I love this book and it makes me just want to like gush because I love it so much I'm going to Scott you're going to need to rein me in.
0: I'll get the rope.
1: Get well, yeah, get the fishing line. So let's talk a little bit more about those characters that we could not talk about without spoiling things. Obviously, top of the top of the top here, the fisherman, Das Fisher. AKA the Hungarian, AKA the guest.
0: So interestingly written and so creepy and scary. They never really describe him. I mean, they describe him in great detail, but they never really, he's never fully fleshed out. He's a force more than he is a character.
1: He does not look like the great frightening magician that he is just to behold him. But he has so much power.
0: His main motivation is, of course, to capture the Leviathan, catch him with his hooks and reel him in and gain power over him.
1: Well, I think it's kind of like gaining dominion over death because the whole thing is all three of these men, Abe, Dan, and the fisherman, they want to be reunited with their family who's died. But that's an unnatural thing. Um, it's, it's not, it's not meant to be, but if you're a wizard in these ways, Reiner would call you a scholar, but everybody else would call you like a witch or a wizard, then you kind of have dominion over death.
0: I would love to read additional stories of Das Fischer before the, okay. The events of this book.
1: Okay. I would love to read a story about every single person in this book, every single nuanced plot point. Oh my god. I was joking earlier, and when you were talking about Tolkien, but I want like an annotated, footnoted read this book. Oh my, I can't I can't. I'm sorry. I need to calm down. I'm too excited.
0: Well, especially the scenes with Reiner and his partner researching and exploring the occult and these creatures and the gods, effectively. That's what makes this book so Lovecraftian. That's the most Lovecraftian thing about the whole thing. And I want to hear more about this (laughs) college, about these people.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. Let's start with that. Let's, Let's start with that. I'm trying to be calm here. Reiner. His colleague, who you're referring to, is Wilhelm. So back in Germany, they're both professors. And they kind of become indoctrinated into this secret society. This information, as you know, because you've all read the book, takes place over about four pages, and it is my favorite four pages of the novel. And that's saying something, because I love the whole damn book. Wilhelm and Reiner become involved through buying some weird tomes, and then they go to the person that like sold them the tomes, and he's like, oh yeah, talk to these guys. And they kind of become apprentices to these guys.
0: Well, they realize they're spell books, but they can't figure out how to translate them or how to cast the spells.
1: So they're kind of learning. At one point, they get tasked with having to get a flower off of a grave, and it's like a priest's grave. But this isn't just like, oh, you go down to the corner, Joe Schmoe graveyard. They have to go through a building into, like, it's down in a basement or cellar or something. Then they go into, like, Diagon Alley through the door. And then they're in this dark city, this world, this alternate world. And they uh, refer to it As cities along the Black Ocean, like this secret, macabre, occult world that is existing simultaneous with ours, if you can only get to
0: it. It's almost like Limbo. It's where- It's the other world. It's the other life.
1: Yes. It's like there's no rules over there. Um, They are successful in their mission, of course. And uh, there's like this... He's kind of describing the people who are around there. And there's some odd policemen who are following them. And he says they're wearing like dark coats and like a plague doctor looking mask and they have like a stick to hit people with. Oh my God. Again, this is like four pages in this book and I was like more I need more. I need more of this world took it up to my veins. I am moving to a city next to the dark ocean.
0: There are very few authors who are able to write books that make me look back and ask someone what movie was this in?
1: Yeah, because it's so descriptive. It's so real. It's like you're seeing it.
0: The scenes that happen on the other side are so descriptive and so powerful that it really sticks with me. And I can visualize it as if I watched it in a very good movie.
1: Right. And kind of leaning up to a little bit more about the study of the occult in this is that we learn that the fisherman, back when he was a, um, a Hungarian, very mysterious Hungarian who'd lost his family. They were like murdered by like the Turks or something. That's when he stumbles across this man called Kunrath. And Kunrath is an alchemist magician of sorts who teaches the fisherman the ways. Because the fisherman like has some knowledge of the occult, I guess. And so remember, he's going around Europe and seeking out these people and he finds Kunrath. And this is all again, this is brief in the book. It's brief, but it's so rich and dense. And from Kunrath, the fisherman won the Book of Osiris, aka How to Catch a Leviathan. So that kind of lets you know that not only were Wilhelm and Reiner part of this, but even way before them, there's this occult history of people studying the occult and trying to master it. That's just part of that really beautiful, lush stuff that, I mean, he doesn't go into pages upon pages and chapters upon chapters describing, unfortunately, but it's like he does it so well and so succinctly. That's a hard word to say.
0: It's amazing to me because you're right. It is very little pages that he explains all of this. It doesn't, he doesn't go on and on. And yet it feels like that was a huge, long, important part of the book. And really, it was only a few pages.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And I would have loved more and more and more and more. But I'm so happy with what he gave us because he leaves a lot up to your imagination and a lot to fill in the blanks of who else studies the occult? What's this all about? Who else knows about, you know, the cities by the black oceans and all these th- secrets?
0: What are the other god creatures like? How many are there? Right. Other than the leviathan?
1: Well, and you know, to catch a leviathan, you're going to need some really fancy cattle.
0: Oh, yeah. He's using-
1: Like magic cows.
0: He's using holy cows, basically. Yeah. Holy cow.
1: Holy cow. That's how you catch a Leviathan.
0: The way that Langan describes the ropes with all of the hooks just wrapped into the rope. Yeah. And of course, at the end is the giant hook, but throughout the entire rope, it just is ready to cut you and hook to you and catch you.
1: So what did you think, Scott, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We didn't discuss this. As a fisherman, how do you think our fisherman, Dust Fisher, relates to the fisherman contemporaries, Abe and Dan?
0: As a fisherman?
1: As a fisherman. I want a fisherman's perspective on this.
0: Fisher person. Well, as a fisherman, I always want to get a bigger catch. Mm -hmm. There's never a catch that's big enough. There's never a- finish line. I want to catch something bigger every time I go out. Right. And really, he has found the biggest game, the biggest fish, the biggest thing you possibly could get. And he's studied, and he's worked, and he's collected everything that he's needed to catch and hunt this creature. And he's putting it all in motion, and he's trying his very best to do it. And I can relate to him in that respect.
1: Well, and you kind of wonder, like, if the fisherman really succeeded... Okay, you have mastery over death. But then what? You're reunited with your weird, watery ghost family.
0: Well, it's like Moby Dick. Once you catch the greatest thing, there's nowhere to go. So you can't.
1: And the book actually opens with a passage from Moby Dick as well. So that's very very accurate, I think.
0: There's nowhere to go once you reach the top.
1: Once you get that white whale, that leviathan.
0: I think ultimately you never can catch your white whale.
1: Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's kind of a point of it. And the fact that all three of these men, they're out there fishing and they're looking to fill a void.
0: There's something powerful about fishing, especially when you're doing it with a friend. There's very little conversation. And this book really does capture that. And yet there's so much feeling of camaraderie that comes from it. It's very peaceful, yet very exciting at the same time. And it's something that two people share. No words need to be spoken, and yet a conversation is had throughout the entire experience.
1: That's really cool. That's a cool way to put it. And that's kind of how it really all kind of ties together. And like you were saying that this is, you don't have to be somebody that loves to fish to love this book. But if you love to fish, you're going to get maybe a little bit more out of it on kind of a deeper level. Uh, one thing, going back to Rainer, spoilery thing that I couldn't say is this is kind of what I was talking about where characters surprise you with stuff you didn't know about them. We know that Reiner was kind of disgraced and he had to leave Germany. Turns out he was disgraced because of Wilhelm's death because Wilhelm was carrying that flower. And I think that's what did it, that flower that they had to get from the priest's grave. And it remember, it turned his, like, he had like black veins and then he like cracked, his face like cracked
0: and they blamed him for his death and even felt that he may have murdered him
1: yeah and so he um he has to leave in disgrace they like go to america they're staying with his wife clara's sister who has a bakery and he's clearly you know kind of a guy of his time and he's like i must be a man and i must provide for my family so he lies and says that he's like this great stonemason
0: oh yeah i can i can be a stonemason i can build this giant dam sure
1: yeah so then they end up at this um, this camp with all these other immigrants who are all working on this reservoir. Then things start getting kind of creepy. His wife is like, well, you know what to do. You know all about this shit. And he's like, yeah, I do. I know about the occult. And so he kind of brings a few trusted friends in.
0: He's very reluctant at first, though. He doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't want to bring himself back into that evil.
1: Well, it's hard when you have, I mean, I'm sure he feels that he has blood on his hands, but um, he ends up taking to it pretty well. And Because um, it's, remember, it's George and Helen. Uh, George is the one that brings his wife back from the dead, and the description of her is she is scary AF.
0: That is another part of the book that I can visualize as if I saw it in a movie. Right. It's kind of the ring yeah. mixed with
1: She has a Samara vibe because like they like look like they're wet, don't they? Like they look like wet all the
0: time. It's like they're waterlogged corpses.
1: Yeah. It's like they are this specters of who they were in life. It's more than that. Because they're kind of possessed. There's like a possession element to it, which I know is very scary for you, Scott.
0: Well, it's possessing the dead, which is not as bad for me as possessing the living.
1: Oh, okay. There's a technicality there, everybody. Keep keep in mind, please. Uh, and then, of course, the way we kind of get introduced to the fishermen is through uh, the dorts, Cornelius and Beatrice Dort. Remember, he's like the, uh, the big wig around town. He has his pretty young wife, and she dies. And the guest, the fisherman, comes around, starts to stay with him, and brings back his beloved Beatrice.
0: They see her in the graveyard at night.
1: Creepy. So good. So creepy. Um, but just more of those beautiful little descriptions. Scary. Ooh, how about I know this is a scene you loved is when Lottie has her brush with the dead woman, with Helen. She kind of puts Lottie under in like a coma-like state. And remember what Lottie sees in her vision? It's all beautifully, frighteningly described.
0: It's never really clear if she's dreaming the reality of the other side or if she is actually taken to the other side. But she lives somewhere between life and death which is somehow scarier than if she was just dead and lost in the sea.
1: Right. And kind of another portal to this other creepy, wonderful world that we love is through the Dort Mansion, where the fisherman has been living. Remember, Rainer finds a way to track him down and figure out where they have to go and what they have to do. And it looks like this big, beautiful mansion. It, It leads you into a forest. And then the forest you see shit in that forest, and it's scary. And then you go down to the the craggy shore.
0: When Reiner's party is marching towards the shore after entering the mansion,
1: they're going to war. Yeah,
0: there's so much good character work starting from right there. There's the boy who wants, who's in love with his daughter Jacob, who will just do anything for Reiner. Because he wants to be with his daughter.
1: (laughs) And Reiner doesn't like him. He comes around to him and he's like, I didn't move across the ocean to have my daughter marry a damn Austrian.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And everyone that's with him has this cold acceptance of what is happening.
1: And I think a part of that is they're from the old world.
0: They're from the old country. They believe the stories. They grew up with the stories. And
1: they think of it, especially Italo, as almost more of like a devil like a y type of thing and Reiner's like yeah, it's, it's older than that it's different than that. It's Italo, Jacob, Angelo and Andrea. I believe are the men that go with him uh, marching off to war and
0: But they don't all come back.
1: No, and Reiner knew that would happen. It was inevitable, so he didn't tell anybody.
0: It's a very powerful moment when Jacob has to kill one of the party members with his axe.
1: Oh my god, that's real good horror right there.
0: And it's and he they never speak of it again until he finally tells Lottie all those years later before he dies.
1: And I love the storytelling aspect of it. It's um, you know they call it a fish story when it's like you caught a little fish but you say it was like this big monstrous fish. Because I don't remember- know what
0: you're talking about.
1: Right, of course. All no, the fish never I catch are huge. Yeah, no, they're all um, behemoth, prehistoric beasts that you've saved humanity from. I can agree to that. Anyway, uh, because it's Abe and Dan are hearing the story from Howard at the diner. I want to say Howard. I believe it's Howard. I believe it is Howard. And here. Howard heard it from like the Reverend Maple who heard it from Lottie.
0: So there is a game of telephone As we have discussed in the past, there is a bit of unreliable narration. You don't know if the story that you are hearing is 100% true, if it's exaggerated, if it's mistold.
1: Yeah, and Lottie's telling it to the Reverend almost in like a, I'm at the end of my life and I kind of want to get this out sort of thing. She's like in a nursing home. She's way into old age when she's telling the story.
0: The way they do describe it when different people tell the story, it's as if it was rehearsed. It's as if it was ingrained in their mind. So it's almost as if the story that they tell down the road, even though it is third, fourth hand, is exactly true as it was told the first time.
1: So obviously, we're really obsessed with the historical element of this book. What about the ending? Were you happy with the ending? I was happy with the ending.
0: I was sad with the ending, but I do feel that that is the only way that that book could have ended
1: i think it's nice that we kind of start the book with abe and we finish the book with abe he goes on a journey himself
0: i think it's sad that he loses his passion for fishing he still does fish from time to time but he's really lost that as his (laughs) escape
1: yeah because dan had to be a big a big baby and ruin it for everybody now he
0: won't be my fishing buddy
1: no exactly and that is not fair abe has an interesting heroism about him a subtle heroism i think we really start to see his character when he does kind of meet up with his wife again but he knows it's like not real it's not right that's not really his wife
0: he knows it's real but it's cathartic anyway it's important for him
1: it's like he had to have that experience, but he's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to take her back with me? Are we we're going to watch Netflix, we're going to go to Target. Like, this is crazy. I can't take <laughs> I can't take a, a a being like she is now.
0: Because deep down he knows it's wrong. He knows it's ungodly, <laughs> filthy, unclean, evil,
1: unclean, unclean spirit. Dan Dan has a harder time with things.
0: Dan has an impossible time with things. I don't like Dan. You don't like Dan. I don't like Dan. I feel very bad for Dan. He had a terrible thing happen to him with his wife and child.
1: Children, little children.
0: He's pathetic, really.
1: Well, yeah, because you feel for him.
0: The way that he sits at the red light that was put up after his family died and just stares at it all night long. It's pathetic. It's very sad.
1: Right. He has slowly but surely become a little unhinged by what happened. And maybe understandably so. How can anybody predict what would happen to them in a situation where your whole family is killed in a freak accident like that? He is the one that is leading he and Abe to Dutchman's Creek. And he's kind of like, he wants the story to be real. And so he wants to take them there so they can be reunited with their uh, loved ones who have passed. It's kind of like the pet cemetery effect, where it's like. Guys, don't you think things should just stay dead sometimes? Don't we know that they never, it's never good when something dies and comes back?
0: I could see how I might get to the point where I would become obsessed, and if I had the opportunity to bring someone back from the dead, I might go to great lengths to make that happen. But Dan goes so far as to, he goes as far as to turn against his very own humanity to do it.
1: Right, absolutely. Sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is just better. Just just take it from any story. Or don't do it, kids. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I want to read these grimoires and study this occultism because it's so freaking fascinating. But I wouldn't actually touch it with a 10-foot pole. Fishing
0: pole. It's interesting how that works because I feel the same way. I'm fascinated. And if someone put a tome in front of me and said, here's the secret to the occult. Here's <laughs> everything behind the world that you live in. I would be incredibly curious, but that's the dangerous thing. Yeah, because once you know, you can't unknow it, right. and you just keep falling further and further.
1: Yeah, down the occult rabbit hole, and it's true in so many stories. But it's um, it's awesome. There needs to be more books like this, more movies like this. Not so much in the the pet cemetery element of it, where things should stay dead, but where it's that elegant, thought provoking subtle horror. It's so good. It's so good.
0: The idea that there are powers above you, not demonic or angelic, just primal prehistoric powers that are beyond your comprehension. It's a very scary and powerful thought. And I agree. I wish there was more like that.
1: Oh my God. It's so delicious. I just want to eat this book with a spoon. I want to read it every day of my life. I love it. Especially the historical parts but I love it.
0: So what score would you give it? Let's oh. say, um, how many Leviathans? Actually, <laughs> you can't have more than one Leviathan. Leviathan is the biggest. So how much of a Leviathan would you give this book?
1: Um, oh, I love that. I mean, my favorite part of the Leviathan is definitely the fin. But I'm going to say... A hundred percent of the delicious Leviathan. I want to be like Fred Flintstone and take that giant Leviathan rib and put barbecue sauce on it and eat it because I love it.
0: Well, I'm I'm going to give it a little bit more than three quarters of a Leviathan. Four out of four fifths of a Leviathan, <laughs> if you will. The writing is stellar, particularly that of Abe. The world is deeply fleshed out with a clear mythology and history. It only scratches at it. There's a disconnect between the first-person storytelling of Abe and the third-person perspective of the middle. In my opinion, bunching the historical period together in one large chunk, it was a strong, deliberate choice, but it didn't work as well for me as it could have if it was sprinkled throughout.
1: I think that's very well put. And I think it's cool that we have a little bit of a difference of opinion, but I'm going to take that leftover chunk of Leviathan... That you're not eating. I'm going to take that home and I'm going to have that for like midnight snack.
0: (laughs) What do you think a Leviathan tastes like? It tastes
1: like pumpkin spice and meat. (laughs) And if that doesn't make you appetized, I don't know what will.
0: See, I picture just like a fatty pile of salt bog water.
1: No, no, it's not that. It's it's a delicious nutmeggy piece of meat. It's This is foul. This is unclean. This rating system we've come up with. It's like if you've with. ever
0: cleaned the fish, those those fatty little fingers that are on the inside of a trout. <laughs> oh,
1: well, I know everybody's really probably hungry and appetized right now so we're gonna let you go we're gonna turn you loose this is a catch and release (laughs) we love puns we love puns here at genre junkies Scott say goodnight to our friends.
0: Good night to our friends.
1: We love you guys. Check us out on social media. Come back. We're gonna have a, we're gonna squeeze in another spectacular episode for you.
0: Yeah, we're back on track and we're gonna have our bonus episode this month come hell or high water.
1: And it's gonna be good. You're gonna wanna be here for that. So good night everybody. And please keep reading past your bedtime. <laughs>